Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 71 of the Ian Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson. And uh, first of all, I just want to uh, uh, apologize. I don't have my uh, the normal uh, equipment I have for my podcast, so the quality of the sound might not be as good as uh, the others. But uh, at any rate, uh, we I'm here today with a slightly heavy heart, as many of you uh, are who've uh, heard the announcement of the Paris 2024 Olympic Organizing Committee choosing uh, breakdancing over squash. Uh, that hit, hit us hard uh, over the last two days, and we're still, I think, uh, those of us in the squash community are, are reeling uh, from that announcement. It uh, looked like we had a very strong uh, case this time around and a good uh, bid uh, put together by the WSF and the PSA. Uh, however, uh, we were shown the door yet again. Uh, in light of this, I thought it'd be good to have a, uh, an objective uh, viewpoint on, on how all this might have gone down. And uh, senior uh, Olympic and Paralympic reporter for the BBC, Nick Hope, is going to join me today on the podcast, and we're going to talk about this whole uh, scenario. Uh, he's been following the story for a while now, dating back to the uh, world, uh, the Junior Olympic Games in Buenos Aires, of which uh, both breakdancing and squash uh, were participating in that. So uh, he might be able to, he'll definitely be able to give us some insight in terms of how that played a role uh, for both sports, maybe, in the decision that was made by the organizing committee. And we're also just going to talk about uh, what breakdancing maybe had to offer that squash didn't, and uh, also what squash uh, may need to do or where it fell short and what it may need to do uh, going forward from his perspective uh, if we're going to continue uh, bidding for the new sports status in the Olympic Games. So uh, again, with a heavy heart uh, today, but uh, I think it's important for us to try to maybe figure out what uh, squash needs to do and, and see maybe where we fell short again and no better way to do it than then to get a, uh, a uh, objective uh, opinion on this and Nick Hope's hopefully going to provide that for us. So uh, here we are, episode 71 of the In Squash podcast, Nick Hope of the BBC. Hey, uh, well, welcome to uh, episode 71 of, of the In Squash podcast and today uh, I'm very uh, happy to have on uh, BBC senior Olympic and Paralympic uh, reporter. Uh, he's uh, been on top of the story of the uh, of the uh, Paris 2024 organizing committee's uh, choice of breakdancing as the new sport for Paris 2024. And uh, he's also uh, just uh, returned from the British Masters swimming, uh, where he won a, a gold medal, I think, in the backstroke, 100 meter backstroke. Nick Hope is my guest. Uh, Nick, thanks for coming on. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, great. Uh, well, as you know, the squash uh, world right now, Nick, is uh, we're, I mean, we, we're uh, with a heavy heart right now with the announcement of uh, yeah. breakdancing as the new sport for Paris 2024. Uh, now, on Twitter, Twitter a few days ago, I'm just going to get right into it. You posted um, a video of the breakdancing competition at the Youth Olympics, uh, of which uh, squash was also uh, part of last year in Buenos Aires. And... Uh, during that video, you, you mentioned that uh, breakdancing um, was the biggest success of the Youth Olympic Games. Uh, so for those of us uh, who may have seen breakdancing as a, surpri a surprise choice, uh, I think you didn't. Um, so why not? Essentially, this is the way that the International Olympic Association, uh, International Olympic Committee, the IOC, have been looking to go for a number of years, really. They're so 
um, well, the word a lot of people have used is, is desperate. They would say keen um, to try and pursue younger audiences, bring in new young people to this Olympic movement. And they see breakdancing, which uh, those who compete in it uh, call breaking, uh, as, as a way forward. And at the Youth Olympics, as I said, you know, they were literally thousands packed into the venues to, to see this particular sport. They made it as part of uh, this urban park right in the centre, in the heart of Buenos Aires, in Argentina. Free tickets, thousands came there. There were other sports like freestyle BMX and sport climbing, which we will also see debut at um, Tokyo 2020. And it really felt like the IOC were not only happy with the way it had, had, had sort of achieved those crowds, but the way people had responded to it, the way athletes had got involved, and that that was very much something that they wanted to pursue going forward obviously to start it uh, at a senior olympics for the first time at tokyo but also to build on it for paris 2024 and la 2028 um, and also obviously to, to speak about squash that was included as a uh, demonstration sport at buenos aires and i remember being there with you know several of the young athletes that were able to play and they did all feel that this time it felt different, that this was a step forward for squash. But having seen the way that other sports were treated out there at the Youth Olympics, I, I was a bit worried for them, to be honest, because it wasn't given the same treatment that, that other sports were. Right, right. I guess in terms, I mean, in terms of them catering to, to those sports, uh, providing them with the, uh, with the venue, uh, I guess that, 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 that's one reason. Essentially, yes. Uh, I mean, it, it was great for squash to be there and have a moment at an Olympic Games. But to, to give you uh, sort of context, that sport was set up. And obviously, we know that squash can be played pretty much anywhere. That's one of the, the big uh, driving points that um, World Squash have tried to promote in that you can take it anywhere and put it in a stunning location. Uh, the Youth Olympics, unfortunately, it was essentially in a disused corridor in part of a venue for another sport. Yeah. So whilst it was great that it was there in Buenos Aires, when you see the platform that breaking was given and other sports like roller speed skating, which had never been at Olympics, they had their own venues and they had thousands of people brought in. Whereas squash, you went there and, and saw it if you were passing en route to, say, futsal, which was in the same, same building. So it, it didn't really feel like the IOC had given it you know, as much of a push and as much promotion as, as it probably could have done. Yeah, um, I was speaking to a friend earlier, and the more I think about it, the more I kind of get it, you know, uh, in terms of breakdancing. You think, think about something like uh, gymnastics, for example. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean it's just uh, these guys are incredible athletes doing what they do on, those, uh, on that equipment. But then we well, have exactly as you say, it's, it's an awful lot like um, the floor routine that you'll see in gymnastics for, for men's and women's artistic gymnastics. They've actually, in the last few years, you'll see a few breakdancing moves actually in their routine. So it's quite interesting to now see breaking go in from that perspective because there's, there's sort of been this teaser in gymnastics and this acceptance that, you know, the, the athletic ability in that sport is something that's attractive. And I think that's probably helped. Um, breaking's bid go in. And as I said, at the Olympics, the fact that you can do the head-to-head -head battles did certainly attract people. So that, as I said, that's all leading into it. But the flip side is you've got an established sport like yourselves mm. uh, and also karate, which has been um, kicked yeah. out for Paris 2024 when it will make its debut in Tokyo, that have been essentially, you know, 
taken from the games or not given the chance to compete at an Olympics, despite the fact they've been bidding for so many years. And that, you know, to many people, to traditionalists and also those who sort of follow the rules and regulations that there are supposed to be around bidding for Olympics, don't feel that's entirely fair on those sports. Right. Now, I had uh, a few weeks back, uh, I had Alex Goff on my podcast, and mm-hmm. he's the, the CEO of the Professional Squash Association, the PSA. Yeah. And uh, we talked a bit about the Olympic bid, and it seemed to me like he, he felt quite positive about it. And he had three, uh, three key, three highlight areas. One, as, and I think we just mentioned them, uh, the internet, well, one is the international flavor of the game, which uh, mm. I think it was uh, representative at the, at the World Youth Games with junior players from around the world. Uh, Correct. At a professional level, uh, the gender pay gap is, uh, they're addressing that, and it's all, for example, this week at the World Open, it's a, a million-dollar event, 500 for the men, 500 for the women, which is great. Yeah. And then also the ability, as you mentioned earlier, to stage uh, squash at any uh, stunning uh, venue, wherever the, the location happens to be. Now, given that, um, what would you say might be missing from, from, the, from, the, from there for squash? It, it is so tough to say because... Yeah. Um, it does feel like World Squash have done absolutely everything that they've been asked. As you say, those three key areas, that's what they were asked to target. Um, and to show the global appeal being key and also that it's um, a marketable sport, which it, it completely is. I suppose the, the only element would be this, this desire for the, for the, for the youth appeal. Um, it's, but that's, it's not to say that squash doesn't have young people playing it. As you say, it's popular all around the world. I think the IOC has just become almost obsessed with sports that are, I don't want to use the word spectacular, but unusual perhaps. Mm. And that's why you see something like breakdancing, uh, sport climbing, um, skateboarding surfing all going into the games you know from my point of view i don't know what more squash can do and i think you know world squash has been incredibly calm in terms of the the response that they've been given in terms of public statements about being you know very disappointed uh i'm sure behind the scenes there is anger because i don't really know what more they could do you know they've been consistently bidding and, and trying to get feedback from the ioc uh, since the bids went in, you know, for, for London 2012, Rio, Tokyo, and, and now Paris. Um, I hope that they go for it again uh, for LA 2028. Um, but I can understand why there'd be a, so much disappointment in the sport at the moment. Yes, uh, absolutely. There, there's a lot of disappointment, but I think, I think they, they will go for it again. And I think they see, uh, they see LA as a, as a better opportunity, perhaps, in Paris. I'm not sure why. Do you see, uh, would you... And maybe with your knowledge, view LA as a more viable opportunity than Paris for some reason? Well, LA, with it being uh, the USA, you'll want to make a statement uh, <laughs> with, with those games. So, you know, obviously we're seeing uh, Japan do something really 
special and it's the biggest olympics you've you know you've you, you you'll ever see in terms of number of sports and paris will want to step that up i have absolutely no doubt whatsoever that la will want to increase the number of sports and have a greater sort of diversity and span than, than ever before and we'll want to do something that's very different um now one side of that that people have sort of suggested could be esports, but that really really divides opinion well it just so, seems to me like, like with breakdancing for example i mean i i see the sport in it and i've been talking i've been thinking about it a lot and uh, i do see it but it's almost like uh, maybe i mean when i go to the sport ticker i, I have never seen uh the the highlight the highlights or the 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 results of a breakdancing competition uh Although squash, I've never really—you don't really see much of that either. But uh, but it just seems to me like they're they're, they're manufacturing uh, these sports in order to cater to the, what they're trying to achieve with the youth movement. It's just a very interesting time, and, and they won't—you know—the IC hasn't fully explained why they're doing that, other than, as I said, to try and uh, appeal to to younger audiences. I'm I'm assuming they're going out there and they're asking young people what they want to see, but you know you could you could argue let's say for example skateboarding well that was hugely popular in the 90s why is it taken 20 years or so to get that into the olympics you know it's no more popular now than it was 20 or so years ago so why is there the sudden drive um and you could argue really does the summer olympics need to undergo such a revamp it isn't struggling you know there aren't um it's not like the winter olympics where you are struggling to find uh, nations that want to host the games going forwards. The Summer Olympics seems to have a winning formula. Granted, it can't stay stagnant. It does need to, you know, innovate going forward. But as we say, you know, with with breaking going in there, that is that is quite a step. And 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 as you say, it's taking on these sports when they're at their infancy. It's not mm. sports that are established that have you know uh, set international and national governing bodies yeah. or, so or even anti-doping really, that's control. really breaking away well, squash from has the, uh, all of those things yeah it's really breaking away from the tradition of the olympics then isn't it i suppose they would yeah they would say that they're trying to to modernize and, and keep up with times um you know there have been some interesting studies out about almost whether you can inverted commas trust younger audiences though because by the very nature what is cool now isn't you know in six months time so is breakdancing if it's popular now is it going to be popular at the olympics come 2024 is that the right decision to put it in maybe it will be i can't answer those at, at the moment um but yeah it's it will be interesting to see how many changes there are still to go over the next decade if they're going to continually change things. Because as well, you can't keep adding sports to the Olympics without taking something out, you would say. Right. The, the IOC have a, have a set number, uh, just over 10,000 athletes. That's supposed to be the most they can have at the Games to try and make it you know, financially manageable and, and sustainable. They've already cut numbers from a lot of the traditional sports to try and get these in for these new sports in for Tokyo and for Paris. So you would imagine something will have to come out before something else goes in if we're looking towards L.A. Yeah, uh, I guess a, a lot of the, um, the cynics in the squash community might say, uh, I mean, we've, we've put these bids together for so long and we, we, they seemingly... Uh, uh, seem to be successful uh, bids that we we've had in place, but uh, what have uh, have we uh, pissed someone off in the in the IOC or or uh, or something along those lines because it just seems to never work for us. They've just never really given any any answer. Um, yeah. 
the IOC with with regards to to squash. Obviously, they they will publicly say that they they welcome bids from any sports, and I'm sure that they appreciate that that squash keeps coming back. But um, it, there was an interesting piece the the other the other day that was published, obviously after the news, which was uh, the former world number one uh, Nick Matthew, who was talking about you know pondering whether world squash could t- ultimately take legal action against the IOC. I mean, that would be one heck of a of a big step um and obviously that would um make things a little bit awkward come a bidding process in the future but at the same time when you've done everything you possibly can for the last decade and keep being hit with no's but given being given no um real reason as to why or what more you can do uh, i think some really tough questions do need to be asked of the ioc yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, uh, you, you've been great with your time, Nick. Uh, just before you go, I, I noticed on your, your Twitter uh, feed that you're also, uh, uh, along with it being a full-time uh, reporter for the BBC, you're a uh, full-time dyslex- dyslexic. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, what, 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 can, can you uh, enlighten us a little bit on that? What's, what, what's that uh, entail? Sure. Well, so essentially, um, since, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was, I was uh, diagnosed as having dyslexia. Uh, so perhaps journalism where you've got to remember names, facts, and dates probably wasn't the best career choice, but I seem to have lagged my way through it for the last decade or so. Um, no, I mean, I, I like a challenge and that's just, uh, um, been something, as I said, that I was diagnosed with as, as a child and I find sort of ways to try and kind of manage as I've gone along little ways of kind of learning, uh, new information and it's kind of something that I do try and share with youngsters who are still at school and might be sh- struggling uh, themselves because obviously it wouldn't have been an obvious career choice for myself as I've said and there will be a lot of kids out there uh, you know around the world obviously specifically for me in, in the UK um, but I'm open to speaking to, to anyone really who's struggling um, because you know a few little tweaks to the way that you look at things the way that you read things can make a massive difference in terms of being able to learn them uh, and recite them and it can really sort of um you know improve uh improve your life in so many ways i mean people struggle with dyslexia it is you know an, an invisible disability and don't get me wrong there are much more severe impairments that are out there but mm. you know if it isn't diagnosed properly and if people aren't taken say to one side and given a little bit of private tuition when they are at school or just a little bit of one-on-one time with a teacher then they can really struggle when actually they have the potential to do an awful lot more so yeah that's just something that i try to happily have out there you know on my my twitter profile and then if people do want to get in touch and want any advice then always happy to give it yeah you're on uh, you're on social you're on twitter and facebook i guess instagram as well what are your what's your twitter uh, handle again just for anyone who might be uh interested in following yep on uh, all social media it's at nick hope tv at nick hope tv and uh, also of course on the bbc uh the, the following the olympics and the paralympics nick uh thank you so much for coming on and uh, laying that out for us uh thanks a lot absolute pleasure best of luck well thanks to nick hope for that uh for laying that out for us and uh, i'm not sure if that's going to uh make anyone happy in the squash community but uh anyways he does uh try to clarify the ioc uh sees uh, organizing committee's uh, decision on that and uh, uh in some ways it, it does make sense but in many ways it's just uh, still as uh, mind-boggling as it was uh, when the decision came down and in the previous bids that we were uh, 
unsuccessful in as well. At any rate, again, uh, thanks to Nick for coming on and uh, laying that out for us. Now it's time to uh, enjoy the World Open in Chicago. Uh, Union Station uh, matches get underway today, so enjoy your squash, everyone. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it, and have a great day. Goodbye now.